In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. The text for this morning is the text appointed for, I believe I misspoke earlier and said the 17th Sunday after Trinity. It is the text for the 16th Sunday after the Feast of Holy Trinity. The Gospel according to St. Luke, the 7th chapter, beginning at verse 11. Now it happened the day after that he went into a city called Nain, and many of his disciples went with him and a large crowd. And when he came near the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the city was with her. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came and touched the open coffin, and those who carried him stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. So he who was dead sat up and began to speak, and he presented him to his mother. Then fear came upon all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen up among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him went throughout all Judea and all the surrounding region. Thus far, the text. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus comes to the town of Nine. And there he beholds a sad sight, a widow woman who is following the coffin of her only son, who is being taken out to be buried. Father Luther speaks so insightfully in his sermon on this text. He points out that she did not ask Jesus to raise her son. It was more than she could even have remotely imagined was possible. We didn't need the enlightenment or the dawn of the scientific age to figure out that dead people don't come to life again. They knew that. But as a consequence of knowing this, she does not ask. Now it is written, Ask and you will receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened to you. So often, that gets taught and preached backwards. That means if you don't ask, you're not going to receive. It's not what it says. And thus the grace of God ends up being misunderstood as something we can only receive if we put a little of our own effort into it. And thus the gospel gets watered down to you're saved by grace mostly. But you have to do your part too. Not so as here we see it clearly. 
Our Lord shows this woman a mercy she never even dreamed of, let alone asked for. And then Luther challenges us, and I'm quoting him now. This sermon seems easy to us, but where are they who mean it with their heart? If we believe that everything comes to us from God's grace and mercy, we would daily run and rejoice. Our hearts would continually rise and dwell in heaven. When we once get to heaven, we will see that this is true. Now, no one believes it. The God of this world, the devil, has such power on earth that we do not see the work of God, nor know it. Therefore, we do not appreciate it. We misuse God's mercies and are entirely unthankful to Him. Thus far, Father Luther. Ours is a Savior who raises the dead. By grace, apart from anything we do, even apart from imagining it. And we know this. We believe it. We confess it every Sunday. I believe in the resurrection of the body. And every year there's this thing we do called Easter. We believe it. And yet Luther asks, who means it with their heart. Or as I would say it, who actually lives there? This poor widow's only son had died. He was her only hope of even being provided for, let alone having the joy of at least one person in the immediate family to love and be loved by, and now he's gone. Why does God permit this? Don't tell me you haven't had moments in life that you asked this. I have. Oh God, how can this be the plan? Father Luther again explains. He writes... Now the woman went ahead and did not know what God had given her, but she was soon obliged to experience it. For before she turns around and she thinks she is the safest, God comes, tries the wife a little and teaches her certain things, takes her husband and her son. This all has been written for us that we might have an example and learn to acknowledge God when He blesses us with a healthy body, a bright countenance, and bestows upon us other blessings. He does not give them to the end that you should rejoice in them, but that you may know what to think of Him. When he takes a member out of your family, permits your wife to die, or destroys one of your eyes, 
All this is done that you may see what you have enjoyed from Him. And this is now the common teaching through all the Gospels, that we may see what kind of God we have. It is also shown us here in this Gospel that God will forsake no one. Therefore, He permits the wife to see in a new light what kind of a God she has. For when she was forsaken and had neither son nor husband, then Christ manifests Himself to her and says, Learn to believe. Trust God. Know Him to whom death and life are alike. Have a good heart. Be of good courage. Weep not, there is no need of it. He then goes and awakens the dead and gives him again to his mother. Luther eloquently explains that there are here two sermons. The pallbearers lay their hands on the coffin and nothing happens. This is the law, he says. We are sinners. The wages of sin is death. Death is coming. And every time it happens, the law is preached to us again. We all deserve this. And it's true, but by itself the law accomplishes nothing in us but despair. Yet it is done that we may all the more rejoice when we hear the gospel. When the hand of Christ touches the coffin, it is quite a different story. He speaks the words, Young man, I say to you, arise. The word of God, the Lord, creates what it names. And the man arises. And he speaks and he is given back to his mother and the people who see it begin at least to understand who Jesus is. It certainly points us forward to our Lord's own sin-atoning death and resurrection and beyond that even to the promise that our death will also be followed by the resurrection of our bodies. So as per Luther's question earlier, who means this with their heart? Or my version of it, who among us lives there? If there is one very simple point that we may glean from our text this morning, it is this. We do not need to fear death. The one who raised the widow's son certainly can and will raise you too. Teach me, O Lord, that I may dread the grave as little as my bed. Be not afraid. You will be awakened. 
in the resurrection of the righteous. There is a second point that Luther sees in what our Lord does. I suspect that he knew what the collect was for the morning. That we may continually be given to all good works. And I know I'm referencing Luther a lot this morning, but his insights on this text are really good. He sees that our Lord gives us an example that we should be emissaries of His compassion and mercy. These good works in particular. In Greek, we hear Kyrie eleison. In German, Herr erbarmedich. It comes into English as Lord have mercy, but that makes of mercy a noun, a thing. Grammatically, in the original, it has actually the force of a verb. Lord, mercy. Lord, mercy us. Lord, mercy me. And as He has mercied us, we are as His hands in this world to be His instruments for mercying others. Jesus acts in the way of the Gospel. He cares about this woman even if the rest of the world would pretty much ignore her. No matter who you are or how unimportant or lonely or abandoned you may feel, however it is that the sting of the law makes its painful presence known in your life. Know this. Jesus does care about you. You do matter to Him. His heart goes out to you too. He mercies you. How then are we to go mercying others? The psalmist says he sets the solitary in families. By the grace of God, we do well at being a family to the solitary. In all probability, with the passage of the years, there will come the day that we have more solitary ones here. I pray that we will all continue to be the hands of God in mercying those among us who find themselves solitary by including them, by being family to them. As Christ has taken our sin and shame and sorrow upon Himself and atoned for it. God grant us, as the Apostle admonishes us, to bear one another's burdens. Nor should we miss 
the physicality of all this. We are told that Jesus went up and touched the coffin. In the Old Testament, dead bodies were unclean. If you touched one, it made you unclean. Now Jesus is the one who knew no sin. He alone is by nature truly holy, truly clean. And when the clean one, our Lord Jesus Christ, comes into contact with a dead body, does it make him unclean? I suppose in a sense, yes. He takes on all of the uncleanness of the whole world. So certainly he takes on the deceased young man's sin and death too. But what do we actually see in our text? We see the flip side of this. We see cleanness going on offense, if you will. The clean one extending cleanliness even onto the ultimate uncleanness of death. By the power of His Word, Jesus commands the young man to arise, and He does. By coming into contact with Jesus, the one who had suffered the uncleanness of death was cleansed. He was made clean again and restored to life. So too there is physicality to our Lord having His use of us as instruments for mercying other people. It may come in the form of a hug or food or physical labor in assisting those who cannot keep up with all that they need to do or just going out and having fun. The Lord used the physic used physicality in forming Adam's body and breathing life into his nostrils. He used the physicality of touch together with His Word to raise the boy in our text. He uses the physicality of the sacraments to bestow new creation life on you. And so as His instruments, we not only feel mercy toward others in our hearts, but such as we are able to we give that mercy physical expression with our hands. Dear ones in Christ, whatever your pain, whatever your sorrow, whatever the sting of law may be in your life, it has been answered for by the suffering and death of our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. And the needed life-giving miracle has been worked through Jesus' Word and His personal touch in baptism and in Holy Communion, raising you to newness of life. So we join with the people of Nain in praising God. We too confess that a great prophet has appeared among us, for Jesus is God Himself, our great prophet, priest, and king. 
We join them in acknowledging that God has come to help His people. And we confess that with our mouths by spreading the word about Christ and with our hands by helping other people ourselves. The original text says that God oversees or watches over His people. The original word is related to the word for overseer, or it sometimes gets translated bishop. Though we are blessed with a bishop of the church in this world, nevertheless, God is our true overseer. He watches over you. He sees your distress. His heart goes out to you and He mercies you, granting you the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting by way of the holy life, the innocent death, and the glorious resurrection of our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding Guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.